whether Jesus was God or not. You have to come to your own conclusions. But this week I would like to discuss whether Christianity is a religion. And that's powerful statement, disturbing statement, I should say. Because we take for granted that Christianity is a religion. I'll give you my point of view right off the bat. My point of view is that Jesus came to save us from religion. Religion cannot save us. What is religion? But the laws of God, if it's a true religion, and there are many crazy religions, all purporting to bring people to God in their own way, some more effective, some more true than others. Judaism was the most honest religion, the clearest pathway to God, for which reason God chose to send his only son into that religion to save people from it. What do I mean by that? I mean, religion, Jesus saving Jewish people or sinners from religion. Well, religion is like a set of laws. It's a set of laws on stone or books that should be on the heart. In order to truly be a religious spiritual person, there's a difference between spiritual and religious. We're religious before we're spiritual. We are religious so we can become spiritual. If you don't have the laws on the books when you're, you're young, if you're not surrounded by legality, spiritual legality, hopefully, because if you don't have God's legality, the laws that should be on the heart and the mind, on the books, there's no telling how low we will descend. You look at, around at the various cultures of the world, so-called primitive cultures, and they have descended beyond the laws on the books. And what is fortunate and what is beautiful about Judaism, they have, they are the one religion that has strayed, not strayed, but I guess they have strayed too, but stayed closest to the ordinances of God, the Torah and, and the five books of Moses and and uh, the various um, um, concepts and precepts, rules, regulations, belief systems, and most of them, you know, right on the money. And, you know, for thousands of years, Jewish people have sort of studied the law, studied the Torah, and governed their behavior accordingly. And it produced in the time of Jesus, or before the time of Jesus, especially, you know, in the time of King David, when the uprightness of men was most notable and flourished and became caused Israel to become a great nation. But it, it created great prosperity and happiness. Um, and uh, But it still was a system that was cultural, was externally based. And no, it was something that because we are born in sin, born separate from God, because of the lineage of original sin, um, because of our separation from God to be God, I suppose that's the best way of saying it, because of ego, another way of saying it, um, we have become lawless. And if we didn't have the laws on the books that should be the laws in the heart, there's no telling how low we would sink as a human race. So the civilization that 
functions best and flourishes best is the one that adheres most closely to the laws of Moses, the laws on the stone or the laws in the books, which should be the laws on the heart. And those who lived by those laws lived uprightly. And um, But what I'm trying to say today, what I'm point that I'm trying to make today is that the ultimate for all of us is not merely to walk uprightly in the law and have respectability by programmed by the law that programs us. Because you see, if you're not programmed by righteousness, you'll be programmed by wrong if we're not programmed by right. We do need a program. And if it isn't one, it's the other. The fallen man has to have a program. He has to have a set of rules to live by. If you took all the laws away, say, from a city like Los Angeles, took all the law away, all the police to enforce those laws, can you imagine what happened to that city? Slowly but surely, they're finding ways around the laws. Slowly but surely, those laws are changing from the laws of God that favor the, the lawful to the lawless laws that favor and pander to the lawless. You see what's happening. The, the laws must be moral, and the laws must be God-centered. They must represent on the books what is should be in the heart. You see, now, man is a very rebellious creature. See, tell him do, and he doesn't. Thou shalt do this, and he does the opposite. There's an impulse, there's a natural impulse or unnatural impulse, even when it comes to the law, especially the way the law is administered by sort of lawless men, ungodly men, ruthless men, cruel men, rigid men, Bible-thumping men, you see. And so that in itself can be a reason for people, rather than obeying the law, to rebel against the law. That's one of the reasons why we have so much crime. Because men who do not have, you know, who are not really upright, but sort of hide behind the verse and chapter, who hide behind the legalities of law, the slimy people that hide behind there and administer laws, well, unjustly, with partiality, favoring one and not the other, using some kind of vindictiveness with the law. If the bureaucrat doesn't like a person, he will find a way, find some law that he's broken, especially some law that was man-made, as so many of the laws are, that favor one group or another, that have vested interests in that sort of thing. A lot of laws get on the books that have no business being laws, and so that they, they, they give advantage to some while giving disadvantages to others that sort of thing. But the point is, the way the law is administered, even if the law is good, it incites a rebellion or it incites a conformity to the law. Those who rebel against the law become lawless. And then those who conform to the law well, appear to be lawful. There are only, there's only those two in cultural Christianity you have a Bible thumped at you, you get scared, a wicked God, an angry God, a punishing God is waved at you, 
you're threatened with him, and out of fear and anger, you conform. You conform and you act like a Christian. You conform and you may act like a Jew. Um, but at least when you conform to authority and the pressure, and let's take the conformity route for a moment, you will have behavior that is Jewish. See? And, and then the, the other course is the people who hide behind the, the hide their impiety behind the law that Jesus called hypocrites and scribes and Pharisees in those days, the blind, the bleeding the blind, both falling into the ditch. And he was referring to the teachers of the law. Those men of degrees with doctorates that are supposed to understand the things of God but didn't because they were so rigid and mechanical, so plastic. And it inspires these two forms. The, so they hide behind, so like, a, like a crook hiding in a policeman's uniform and then stopping a motorist on the highway and taking, using his badge and his powers to hide evil behind, you know, does a number on that motorist and terrorizes that motorist and creates his own victims and feels perfectly justified. So one notice rebels and he's got a reason to take him to jail. He's in business. He's got a collar. And one conforms and, 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 and crawls in the dirt and he says, yes, sir, and, and satisfies the policeman, that, uh, that type of policeman in some way. But no good is served. Whether you obey the law, whether you rebel against the law, where you're programmed by the law. See, what you have at the very best is, is, is a cultural person, a cultural Christian, a cultural Jew. See, and, uh, and of course, I'm referring to here about the two religions which I feel are the most important religions in the, in the world and are dearest to my heart because I see no other religions that have the potential of Judeo-Christianity. Because I'm saying the, because Jesus came from from the Jewish religion, from Israel, he was a descendant from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what we call the Jews today, and I suppose there is no other religion that could give birth to such a man because the the framework of the laws was actually a perfect replica of heavenly ones, and it kept us like a stern schoolmaster. It kept us surrounded in those days. And the laws on the books, which are supposed to be the laws of the heart, when put into practice, even superficially as it was in America, we had the laws of the heart as laws on the books. And they became our legal system. And look what it did to America. We weren't all perfect. We weren't all wonderful. And we weren't all saved. But nevertheless, in a superficial sense, there's great benefit. And it doesn't take much of a stretch of an imagination to see what a benefit that is. It requires certain behaviors. It forbids certain behaviors. And even on a surface thing, culturally speaking, is of immense value, allowed the, the, the civilization called America, the greatest country that ever was, to become the greatest country that ever was. And now we're slipping away from that, of course. And the problem, the reason why we're slipping away from that, in my opinion, there's just so much 
cultural Christianity or cultural Judaism, see? And there's just so much that, that we can take because in that cultural conformity, the rebellion and conformity, the rebellion creates a backlash against the stiflingness, the rigidness, the plasticness, the deadness of the um, prerequisites, the requirements of the law, the requirements of Christianity. There's something missing in it. I remember as a young kid going to synagogue and listening to the rabbis speak. Some spoke in Hebrew and some I didn't understand it. They sang in Hebrew, didn't understand it. Some spoke in English and they went through these mechanical rituals called services. And I sat there and my first impulse, many times when they raised their voice in prayer and, and song, and it got to the point where I saw it as a pantomime. Sometimes I just couldn't help but to repress the compulsion to shriek with laughter. You know, I have to walk out a couple of times as a kid and especially with a friend, we'd look at each other as if to say, this is religion? See, and I almost rebel against my own origins because I saw a dead end. I saw everybody else in the synagogue, you know, not seeing it as a dead end. They were sort of wallowing in it and thinking that was religion and feeling sort of inspired with religious excitement. And it was a religious excitement. It made, it made all the non-religious people feel religious. What I was looking for was a religious experience. And I think that's what Christianity is supposed to provide, religious experience. And a kind of experience with the, the God that we've fallen from, a reconciling, a mystical reunion from the God that was Adam's God, a return to grace, a salvation from everything that sort of we rebel and conform to, a rebellion against from the salvation of the world, a spiritual religion, an identity that is from God. In other words, we, we've got to identify with God. You know, if you're Catholic, you identify with, well, Catholicism. If you are a Mormon, you identify with either church or the founding fathers. You identify with something. You take your identity from what you are programmed by, what you respond to, what sustains you. A, a dope addict takes his identity from the pusher. A womanizer takes his identity from, from the woman. He's not a man, he's a woman when he gets love and he gets his programming, his reassurances, his salvation. He gets his something or other from something external and you identify you understand that kids identify with rock and roll stars and they begin to act like rock and roll stars and carry guitars around with them and wear earrings in their ears and wear long hair and wear the same kind of clothes. They identify, they manifest that which they, they identify with, that programs them. And what I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, is, is that we have to identify with Christ. And this is a very special thing. And religion is only to keep you contained, you know, as, as close as you can, as close as religion can keep you to the truth. It's a stern schoolmaster, a stern teacher, keeping you 
in a manner of speaking, program, because if the good doesn't program you, the bad will, and take you further and further and further away from salvation, from understanding what truth is, into deeper and deeper denial. You see, and Judaism and now Christianity, which is very similar to Judaism, by the way, because after all, it's just a system of rules and regulations. It's a cultural thing when it shouldn't be. Judaism is cultural. Christianity is not meant to be cultural, don't you see? It's supposed to save you from culture. You cannot be born a Christian. You can be born Jewish, and you can be programmed, and you can become a Jew and identify with all the rules and regulations and rabbis and things like that and all customs and the ambience of the of the environment. But a Christian cannot be born Christian. It's, it has something to do with individual salvation from culture. And I will just explain that more as um, I hope you enjoy this program. And I'll be back after. Okay, it will come back. I was saying just before the break that Christianity is, in my opinion, not a religion. And uh, it is something more than religion, something more profound than religion. As a matter of fact, whatever Christianity is, it's supposed to save you from it. I was saying also that you cannot be a, a cultural Christian. You can be born uh, a Frenchman. You can be born in France, you'll be a Frenchman. You're born in Iran, you'll be Iranian. You can be born into that culture and you can take on that culture. And indeed, most of you do if you don't rebel against it and take on another identity as a drug addict or something and have a subculture in rebellion against the culture, the, the dryness of that culture, not knowing any other way to go, not knowing any other form of salvation. You go from the frying pan into the fire um, people are like that, you know, men you know, who are involved with a woman and find themselves enslaved with a woman uh, will often, instead of walking out, they can't do that because they're so addicted, their identity is so interwound with the female that they have to find another woman to save them from the woman that saved them before and only to find out that she enslaved them, enslaved the man to her. See, so, you know, if you want to, um, if you want to eating so much, you have to smoke. And that way, smoking saves you from eating. See, we have to have a savior. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. But everything that saves you claims you. And it would be better if Jesus saved you so he could claim you. And that would be the end of the matter. But we go from one religion to another. We go from Judaism to Christianity, from Christianity back to Judaism, from Judaism to Catholicism, Catholicism to whatever, whatever is your choice, it doesn't save you. Even drugs and, and music is a sort of religion. And so what I'm trying to say is that we need something to save us. 
But there's only one right way to save us, and we can become atheists and be saved from religion, and that's not the answer. And there are people who see the hypocrisy of religion, and especially Christianity, because it's supposed to be something and it isn't. It's supposed to be something spiritual, and it isn't. It promises salvation, and it doesn't save, for the most part. It just offers more culture, more verses and chapters, more more identification with people, places, things, preachers, and that sort of thing. There's something very missing about it, you see? And so it doesn't do what is promised. It's only because most churches are apostate churches. Like Jesus says, many will come in my name and lead many astray before the end times, you see? And what I'm saying is that that's why Christianity has failed in this country. It's because it's lost the spirit of it. It's lost the meaning. It's lost its purpose which is to save. And it became a religion itself. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He said, think not I've come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. No, and I don't know what that means to you, but it seems to me like he's saying something like you still need the law. Some people need the law, and you need the law till I come. You need the law because you're lawless. You're born in sin. You're born out of the lineage of Adam and Eve. You know, through one man's sin, and the whole human race came into existence. And through one man's sin, God's grace goes out of the world individually. We needed the laws, the, the commandments of Moses. Moses, even though he's born an Egyptian, he was had Jewish genes, genetic and spiritual, you might say. And even though he's a baby raised up with Pharaoh's daughter, and was brought up to be a warrior, and with pagan customs, when he saw one of his brethren being beaten up, something stirred up in him, something something very undeniable, had an origin to him that was undeniable, began to come back, couldn't explain his own behavior, some conscience in him, some spirituality, something in him that was sort of very connected to God's purpose. He had something, he had something in him that was more than his brethren, that was steeped in Hebrew or Israelite practices. In their slave state, in their bondage, they practice their worship of their God in their own way as best they knew how. But Moses, who had no training whatsoever, except a pagan upbringing, had something. Now, he wasn't the savior, but he was an archetype of Jesus, and he had something that didn't come from culture. And only something that doesn't come from culture can save you from culture. In his case... He was able to lead the children of Israel out of bondage from Egypt. He was able to stand against Pharaoh, the evil one. Pharaoh hardens hearts, but only gives occasion for the faith of Moses to become stronger, the bonding of of Moses' soul to the Spirit of God and showed the face of God to the world. For this purpose, the scripture says about Pharaoh, I have brought thee into being to show my glory and to show my power and to show my saving grace. And the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and led by Moses, the spiritual Moses, you see, uh, is really basically, you know, some shape of things to come, something that will eventually be done most perfectly and completely by God's Son. But remember that even though they had a spiritual leader, 
the Israelites did not have that spiritual quality yet because they brought with them the habits and ways of their of their taskmasters. You tend to become dysfunctional. If you come from a dysfunctional family and you have a cruel father, a taskmaster, cruel mom, you, whether you like it or not, you, uh, you tend to take on the identity of your tormentor and your corrupter, your violator, those who hold you in bondage. Like the children in Israel had picked up many of the ways of the Egyptians. Now, even though they saw all of the, the fireworks, you might say, all the miracles, the manna from heaven and pillar of fire and the dividing of the Red Sea, all those remarkable things, strangely enough, they didn't have the faith of Moses, even though they saw it, even that Moses didn't even know what was going to happen. When he stretched out his arms and divided the Red Seas, he didn't know what was going to happen when he threw the to his staff down in front of Pharaoh and it turned into a snake magically. He didn't know. He just lived by what we call faith. Now, that's not cultural. Faith can't come from culture. Like most people in the world, I'm afraid to say, but most of the third world nations, you see, I've slid down into the depravity. If you look very carefully how the Jewish people live, it's a miracle after 2,000 years they have survived. They haven't survived as a faithful people I don't really think I know if, if, if the Jewish people know what faith is yet. But it would be easy to save a Jewish person. It would be easy to save a person who is culturally Jewish. But I'm saying that Jewish people and Christian people are very much alike in that they live by these laws. They sing songs, Christian people sing songs about Jesus, and they study his word, and they study about kindness and love and long-suffering and standing up for what they believe is right, and being honorable with their family, and being a, a father of one, you know, one father with one wife, and that sort of thing. They obey all the same things, actually. Christians and Jews are very much alike, in that they're cultural. But the one thing that's missing in Christianity is that it's not meant to be cultural. Judaism is cultural. It preserves you. If you follow the laws and rules, you see what it's done to the Jewish people over the thousands of years they've been persecuted from murdered and uh, it, it is an incredible thing. But in spite of all the persecutions and wandering from one country to another, they have stayed together as a family and they have followed the ordinances as a culture. Not knowing what they're hoping for, you're hoping for some Messiah. They kind of missed him along the way, but never mind. They followed the rules, the regulations, the laws of Moses, and they stayed within that. And it is remarkable as a nation of people, they've survived. Even now in the nation of Israel, they're most envied, hated, because they represent everything the rest of the world isn't. And the closest friends that Israel has is Christians, because they're so close together. They're both cultural, except there's one thing that's missing, See, Christianity is not meant to be cultural. It's supposed to be spiritual, to save you from culture, to save you from the need to be programmed. Does a canary have to be taught to sing? You see, do you have to teach a porpoise how to, to be a porpoise? A porpoise is a porpoise is a porpoise is a porpoise. A worm is a worm is a worm. 
It has its identity. It has its nature from birth. It cannot veer from it. The trouble is human beings do have, they, they have erred from it. Ever since Adam, the human nature is descended in an erring way. Do you know what civilization is, ladies and gentlemen? See, civilization rises. Well, no, let me say it this way. What we have under the laws of Moses, and the laws of Moses were given to the Israelites because they, they, they couldn't live by faith. They had to live by rules until faith comes. And the, and the rules was the only thing that could preserve them as a special pe- people. See, because out of this special people governed by rules and regulations because they didn't have a faith, could come the man of faith to save them from the rules and regulations to be a shining example of what faith is, be the fulfillment of the promise of their, of their forefathers foretold the, the coming of a Messiah. But what, what would they be, what would they be, the coming of a Messiah for, what would he be doing? He would be saving them from rules and regulations. See, they, they would, he would be saving them from rules and regulations because rules and regulations cannot save you. Although some people think that if they hide behind the rules, they are righteous. And the scripture says those that kind of righteousness are filthy rags. But let me come back to the idea of cultural Christianity and what civilization is civilization is what we fall from is what adam fell from the kingdom of heaven see when 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 if adam had never fallen from from his first estate through the act of pride if he had not doubted and rebelled there would have been descending on this earth through man and woman relationships a right kind of man-woman relationships spreading upon the face of the earth with all other kind of right man-woman relationships, the heavenly order of things, the perfect pattern of a perfect world, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Right now we have the kingdom of hell on earth because man has rebelled against God and, and all this misery has come about, see. All the suffering because of the falling away from the laws, is there something missing, some magical something missing in the hearts and minds of men? And so the ancient world had gone crazy. God had to destroy the world. Remember the flood. There was hardly any good people left. And so, you know, the story of Noah and all the rest of it, there was only a few, one righteous man. Even his family weren't that righteous. And the world began all over again with Noah and his family. But then we have our Jesus, you see. That's a wholly different thing. That's heaven descending again. Heaven, but in an ultimate and final way. Full circle, you might say. The purpose of God is complete. There's enough civilizations and there's enough rules and regulations and laws and orders and disorders, rebellions and conformities. But what civilizations are, it, it simply... What we call civilization is nothing else but culture rising, see, to, to control, to confine men. And so many governments that, that encourage lawlessness, governments themselves that encourage lawlessness and punish innocence. See, but there's, there was one government, one system of things that's called 
ancient Judea. It was the first nation on earth that worshipped God and eventually understood what the laws of the heart were, and that men couldn't really obey the laws of the heart, but they knew what they were, and they put them on stone. They, through Moses, realizing that people weren't ready to live by the laws of the heart as he did, he put the laws on stone. And you should not go no further. And it became, and Judaism became the first God-centered religion. But it was still rules and regulations, um, ordinances imposed from the outside. Now, ultimately, ultimately, in order to be a real human being, you should need those rules and regulations. Don't you agree? We need those for a period of time. Otherwise, there's no telling how low we will sink, like the third nations of the world. You could hardly bring them back. The culture in my home was me. I represented the heavenly rules and regulations, and they were happy for that order of things. Because as they grow up, obeying the Father, they can see. They can, it is easy to transfer them to the Father they cannot see. It's even harder to see a father, a spiritual father, because when you have a father that is a bad example, then you cause a child to rebel against, you know, the laws of God you're trying to lay down. Um, Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek was a king of Salem and the priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, which means king of peace, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Who is this mysterious person? See, who is this mysterious person? That, that, that a person can exist like that? Well, we don't know yet exactly. There are many theories. But look, let me read a little bit from the Gospel of St. John. I did that last week. And I want to give you a clue to something. See, and it's a gospel according to St. John, but listen to what it says. Um, it's, it's, it's verse 10. He was in the world, but the world, though it owed his being to him, did not recognize him. He entered his own realm, and his own did, would not receive him. But to all who did receive him, all to those who yielded him, their allegiance, he gave them the right to become children of God, not born of any human stock or by fleshly desire of a human father, but the offspring of God himself. And so the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory, such glory as befits us, Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And you see now, look, there's two sons of God, Adam. He didn't obey God. He rebelled, and the whole human race sinned, and the whole human race descended. Misery, suffering, chaos. We have the first religion, God-centered religion, Judaism, that put the laws of God on the books, made them a very special people. See? And so it took a that particular kind of religion to allow for the survival of the Son of God, you know, to appear to appear in the midst of, even then he was in danger, even then they crucified him. Some did anyway. But the point is, 
he descended into their midst. But he was not born of a human father. There was something very special in him. Even though he was born of a human mother, he came, he was formed, and it was the, the spirit that overshadowed Mary, but he was not born of a human father. And, and he went through the same trials and tribulations as Adam, more so. He was tested and not found wanted, so that perfected his love for his father. He was not found wanting. And there was something, there's something mysterious about what happens when, when, when soul is tested like this and perfected through all the things he suffered. Because he, he grew into something that was very unique, such as we have to become. We have to rise above. We have to be saved from culture. We have to leave behind culture. And how the human race, through recognizing you know, who he is, have, have the potential of becoming the sons and daughters or the children of God for everyone who believes in him. Everybody who sees the light of God shining in him and is identified with him. There's the word. Is identified when assumes the identity and character of that identity. You see, when you identify with something, you take its behavior. And so it was necessary for Jesus, a man from God, to be born the way he was, descend from heaven in, the spent, in that invisible realm. See, and it was necessary for him to die for us, to be so so bonded, so so loyal, so faithful to what his what Father sent him to do. See, that he became the sacrifice, and through him love shone. He became a man, you know, without earthy father, without earthy mother. He Something changed him through the perfection of his love of God. He became spiritually perfect. In, in understanding God's plan, our identification with him, our identification with him also gives us that potential. And through all the things we suffer too, through our belief in him, will perfect our soul and build our character, build the inner man or woman, so that eventually we will have that eternal life quality that has no earth mother or earth father, full of grace. I want to read you from a manuscript a little bit and with selected comments from selected passages from the Kaboris manuscript which is an ancient Syriac New Testament scribed in Aramaic, which is the language of Jesus of Nazareth. And um, what I'm reading to you from is Matthew chapter 5. And the last program I did was, is Christianity a religion? And I think not. I think, as I'll just state it again, that I think uh, Christianity is, well, Jesus came to save us from religion. And he made it very clear that that's what salvation is. Who needs rules and regulations? Who needs the law, basically? If you have the natural intuition in you, if you're restored to the natural intuition through grace, uh, so that you know how to be a human being, a godly human being with God's identity in you, then how could you be anything else but a person? And why would you need to be reminded to be a person once you've been restored to grace? You need the rules and regulations the Torah and the and the Quran and whatever it is that is your religion to remind you to be what you have forgotten and not discovered to be. 
the, the whole human race, as I see it, is a fallen human race. We've fallen away from knowing who we are, and we've become lawless. And to me, it's a spiritual thing, and spiritual people need to be uh, have a spiritual God. They need to have, have a spiritual um, faith. They need to have a spiritual source of who they are. Animals have, well, a lineage of, of uh, nature. Now, I know all nature is created by God and all that sort of thing, but they have something different from us called instinct, which they are true to for the sake of their survival and the survival of their species. But man is different. We're spiritual beings and we have a different source. And our, our source is not nature, even though part of us is nature. The, the, the origin, we're part earth and part heaven. You know, God breathed into Adam his breath of life and he became a living soul. He took the dust of the earth, a little bit of the earth and a little bit of himself and incorporated in that and made him answerable to him. Otherwise, we become answerable to what we call nature or something operating in nature, which is represented by the serpent. The snake in the grass is still around seducing, you know, pure hearts and minds confusing us and making us answerable to our senses, to him through our senses. So they turn us into animals see, and savages. There's no telling how low we sink if we're not restrained by something called law, rules and regulations. Hopefully, they are the laws of the, of the spirit written on tablets of stone or parchment. Spiritual laws is no further. Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do that. And so in a sense, we're all spiritual criminals in a sort of a, a, a legal penitentiary, contained, thankfully so. Can you imagine if there was no law in the world? Well, for the most part, the world is lawless, and that's why you have the third world nations disintegrating the way they do. See? That's what the laws are. They keep us a special people. You know, if I have a child that I love very much, I protect him from the world of lawlessness. I know that his proclivity is to respond to the world and, and I protect him from the influences. My love is greater than his need for the world. There's a, a, there's a proclivity in every child that comes into the world to answer, to seek out the ego supports for his pride. And you can't help but a certain amount of that, but my love eventually will, will oversee that, to overshadow that, to help modify it to teach him and guide him to the world that I'm coming from, to go to where I'm coming from so he can come from where I'm coming from so that he will have the same God as me and experience a destiny, you see. But meanwhile, he needs to be surrounded by my love. He needs me to forbid him to do that and to command him to the to, to do other things in a loving way, not in a dictatorial way. I don't mean that by any means. But he needs to be surrounded by an earthy representative, an earthy bureaucrat, if you like, father, so that he loves the father he can see. If the father he can see represents the just father he cannot see, he will be disciplined. He will be trained in the way he should grow to be compatible with the spirit that made him. But if I let him go wild, if I don't discipline him, I don't love him, and I don't guide him, and I don't care for him, because I, I don't care for the truth myself, you see. 
I'm using that as an example. And then the world gets to him and corrupts him. And, you know, he becomes promiscuous and he goes, he lives the wild life. He follows the wrong cow and he gradually gets drunk. He starts to steal and commit crimes. Well, that nature that grows up in him, a very guilty nature, it's in deep conflict with the very spirit he should be coming to. He's drawing nigh, he's drawing closer to the other spirit, that is the world, I call it the world, that is shaping him in its image. He feels more comfortable with that. He's too guilty to come to God. His conscience becomes the enemy. I become his enemy. Anything good becomes his enemy. Well, how can such a person um, come to God? Except like the prodigal son when he's used up all of his energy and finds all his friends leave him and his fortunes leave him and finds himself living in a pigsty and then remembers what it was, you know, there must be something better than this. My father's, my servants of my father, as the prodigal said, muttered to himself, they, they had a better life than living and eating the food of pigs. So he comes back slowly. He starts to realize there's a better life and that the way he was going was wrong. And slowly his 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 destiny begins to call to him and he starts to come back to his father's house and becomes accepted by his father and accepted in by his father. Now that possibility does exist. It does indeed exist. But but it's a better opportunity, a better opportunity if I love my children, if you loved your children in such a way as that you don't make them enemies of reality through terrible guilt. So when you try to tell them the truth, they will mock you, they will be threatened by you. They'll cringe because of the pain of their existence. They will sort of sink into the security of their pleasures, their denial mechanisms, see, so what I'm saying is that that if you bring up your child, you're not only bringing up your child, you're bringing up yourself. With the good you do for others, you, your own children, if you guide them, then you are rewarded. You are loved by the God that you are leading them to love. See, the good that you do is for them is the good that is in yourself to do it with. It resides in you and it, and it, it enlarges in you. And you have a good relationship with your children. You're bringing them to the God that you are, that you have, and you're bringing them to there where you are coming from. And they become whole people. And it's just a matter. It's a very small matter of a little transfer, because the nature that's growing up in them, in obedience to the Father, they can see, is the nature that is easily transferred to the Father. They cannot see. And then they become mature people that you can trust because they have the same guidance mechanism that you do, so that you can, and you can gradually let them go and learn to have faith in what they know is right in their heart. And then your job is done. You transfer them further to the Father they cannot see. And, um, and I think Jesus does this, you know, for all of us rather well. As I said, I think Christianity is not merely a set of rules and regulations and sing songs. I think it is a matter of identity. I think the rules and regulations of Christianity and Judaism, especially Christianity and Judaism, especially 
are like the kind of father, the kind of home that we should have, you know, even though it's always not properly administrated. And now there are many different versions of, of what Jesus says and what Christianity is and what even what Judaism is. But basically, they always have the basic theme that there is a God, you have to do the right thing. And we are taught about what the right thing is or reminded about what the right thing is by our preachers and pastors and rabbis. And that is very good, but and that's not good enough, though. The preacher and the pastor and the rabbi cannot always overshadow the flock. He has to take them a certain way, and then he has to let them go. There's something beyond merely being told what to do by a rabbi or a pastor or a minister. There's something beyond that. The more he loves them, the more he teaches his flock not to need him. That's what John said. He said something to that effect. The more I love you, the less you will love me or need me. That's the proper translation. The more I love my children, the less dependent they are. The more I transfer their rapport, their allegiance to that which is in me, in them. And the whole purpose of my, of my ministry, the whole purpose of my, of my relationship with my children, with my with my following, is to make them whole beings. And they can't be whole beings as long as they need me to interpret everything for them and to chew their food for them. See, they cannot be, and I know that. And in a similar way, uh, as a father, um, I have to let my children go. Sooner or later, I have to stop overshadowing them. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of um, it reminds me of a, a tall, beautiful tree, and then a little tiny tree shooting up beside it from the mother tree. And as long as that big tree overshadows the little tree, it doesn't get enough light. When somebody comes along and cuts that tree down, then the little baby tree is able to receive the light and grow in its own right strong and big like the parent tree. Now, it's the same way. I don't know when it has to cut me down, but I have to know when to let my kids go. I'm always, I'm always there in spirit, you might say. You know, my spirit is their spirit. Not directly me, but my spirit has to be their spirit. And from a distance, I watch and I hover and interfere when I have to, less and less, so to speak. So they become more and more. And it seems to me that's what a pastor must do to deliver his flock to, to God. And Jesus said, I am the way and the light and the truth, and no one cometh but the, to the Father except by me. And none of us must get in the way of that. Because otherwise, if, if we as ministers get it in the way, if we're always interpreting, but if you keep administering the same people and teaching them the same thing over and over and reinforcing and they know it, but then they, they forget it, and then you remind them, and they, they come to church, and they feel better, and, and for a whole week they, they, they're programmed to act like Christians. And, but as the week goes on, they feel the need to come back to church and to, to get their, to get their uh, fix. There's got to be a point where they don't need you anymore. There's got to be a point where you don't need the doctor anymore. If the doctor's doing his job, then... The doctor should heal the person in such a way that he doesn't need to come back to the hospital anymore. But if you if the doctor fixes the patient where he has to keep coming back, well then what kind of 
You know, what kind of doctor is that? And if I have to keep on, you know, fixing you, then what kind of minister am I? You see, it just seems to me like you shouldn't need me after a while. And if I'm really doing my job, you become whole, you see. But if, if I'm not careful, that's a very delicate maneuver. You remain attached to me and feel the sense of belonging. Then I become the father and I get in the way of the father, you see. And, and do you see the point that I'm making? That somehow religion falls short. Somehow Christianity and Judaism fall short in making whole people. And it has something to do with institutional religion, whether it's religion is, is simply um, um, culture, which it has become a cultural thing. And uh, the human beings that are sort of formed by it are sustained by culture. But so, is, so the kamikaze pilots of Japan, they were also dependent on culture for who they were. And uh, it's a civilization of sorts, but it isn't true civilization. Civilization comes when we are restored to our creator. When we are finally, you know, through the love and the guidance of our teachers and rabbis and, and pastors and ministers, guide us to a, a union with Christ, see, to God through Christ, who saves us from religion. Now, there's, there's every reason to go back to church, but not to, to learn from church, but to teach others to help others who are, you know, coming along in that direction. And for the fellowship of it. But not for the teaching, not, not for your own teaching, for your own edification. Because once that fulfillment has come, once you've received the, you know, salvation, you're saved from having to be taught. And if there were no laws, you wouldn't disobey them anyway. I mean, they're implied. You know, the laws are there for the lawless, those who have fallen from the law. And therefore they need the law, they need to be reminded of what to do and what not to do. But those who have been saved have the identity of God in them. And if you have the identity in the God, then you're like a porpoise that knows how to be a porpoise and a bird that knows how to build a nest. You know, the time is coming, saith the Lord, for not every man shall say to his brother, Know ye the Lord, but I shall... I shall be their God. I shall write their, my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I shall subscribe them. And, and they shall be the, my people and I shall be their God. And I don't have the exact terminology in front of me, but it just came to me to say that. See, so the time is coming when people shall not worship on this mountain or that synagogue, said Jesus, but men shall worship me in spirit and in truth. The time is coming when man shall no longer say to his brother, Know ye the Lord. I will write the laws in the hearts and minds. It only comes through being restored and finding personal union with God through Jesus. Hello. Hello, here I am. And this is Roy Masters. And I hope you enjoyed what I said about uh, 55 years ago. If you'd like to get a copy of this, this was, by the way, this is was my beginning, and I had my own network at that time. And that passed away, and 
I am where I am right now, trying to reach the whole world, but with respect to what you just heard. I was just a young man, oh, 50, 55 years ago, 45, I forget how long it is. But you may get, might, might get a copy of this and call my office, 800-866-8883. They don't know anything about that. I only just you know, found the, the tape, and it was stacked somewhere, and I have more. I have what I want to share with you. One of the most beautiful books I've ever read that helped me to say that what I said to you in this um, program. It's called the Kaboris Manuscript. And if I can read it correctly, selected passages from the Kaboris Manuscript, an ancient Syriac New Testament subscribed in Aramaic the language of Jesus of Nazareth, and it's hard bound. It's $20. I, I love this book so much that it, it, it's, it set me on the journey you've just heard. It's a, it's a solid, it's a very solid covered book, and it's, it's a small book, but please get it. I have 10,000 of them. I have never mentioned them since I read it. God bless you. Post Office Box 1000 Grants Pass, Oregon 97526. Please support my program. I will say it one more time. Post Office Box 1000. I can't remember it now, isn't it ridiculous? Grants Pass, Oregon, 97528. Please send a donation because very soon, uh, when, uh, before I leave this earth, I'm almost 90, I'm going to make it sure that everybody on earth can have what I have free, no matter what it is they can have. And those who want to support me with money, who, are pro who have enough money, send a check. And that will help others to have it free who cannot afford it. I will leave that behind me. Thank you for listening. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.